morning, church. If you are uh, in your living room today and you've been kind of uh, in that process of settling in, maybe the kids are squirming a little bit. It's all right. Let them squirm. Let them roll around on the carpet on the floor in front of the TV. It's all right. It's all right. It's not church. Nobody's watching, just you. If it's been kind of a tough week and you're, uh, you're looking for things to do, one of the best ones I heard was actually from uh, a family member of mine. Um, she actually set up a tent in the living room and had uh, a camping adventure with her uh, two-year-old son. And I think that's a great opportunity. Uh, there are just so, uh, so many things that are given to us as opportunities in this time when we feel restricted. Um, very often people would cloister themselves when they were trying to find a closer relationship with God. You have been forcefully cloistered. Consider yourself cloistered. But in the moment when you're in, when you're in that cloister, this is the moment to start looking for a different kind of walk, a, a closer walk. Uh, today I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Um, we've been here in this, this segment of Scripture for a while uh, we've been reading through Matthew slowly. We've been infilling our services for a while now with Matthew. We'll do a series and then we'll come back to Matthew. We'll do some other part of a series and come back to Matthew. And that's, that's been sort of a home base for us back and forth. And so if you, as you're finding Matthew chapter 15, we're going to actually begin at uh, verse 32 or actually at verse 29 and um, read a familiar story. It's the, it's the lesser of the two stories. You know, you have, you have stories where... Um, one is greater than the other. You know, you, you have your favorites, and those ones always get the most attention. Well, the feeding of the 5,000, that's the story that gets the attention. But in this story, it's the feeding of the 4,000. And the 4,000 are the ones being mentioned here. This is a, the, a different feeding, a different time. There was a time in my life when I thought the feeding of the 4,000 was a, a, was a mistake, that somebody had miss, missed the numbers and gotten them incorrectly. <clears throat> but... Uh, very early in my spiritual walk, I discovered, oh no, they're both there. They're two different stories. So I'm picking you up at verse 29. <clears throat> Jesus departed from there. Now the, the there is Tyre and Sidon. Uh, he's out on the coast. He's out on the Mediterranean. He departed from there. So this, he departed from there, isn't a 15-minute walk. It's not a half-hour walk. It's probably a day or two walk. So he departed from there. And as Jesus departed from there, he skirted the Sea of Galilee. So he comes around the Sea of Galilee as he's on his way and went up on the mountain and sat down there. This is a picture of Jesus in cathedral. He is, he is sitting down. He's about to do something spectacular, about to do something amazing. He is taking his seat. He sat down again on the mountain like Moses had. And a great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So I want you to stop there and picture this. Massive numbers of people find out where Jesus is, and they show up. And when they show up, they just start coming in, and they bring people. They start finding their cousin, their uncle, their friend, their neighbor, and they start saying, hey, there's a guy who can do something about what's wrong with you. This is the first testimony of Christianity. The first testimonials of Christianity. There's a guy who can do something for you. Still the same testimony, right? It is still what the church has to say. There is a Jesus, and this Jesus can do something 
for you, for what's broken in you, for what needs help in you, for your need. There is an answer, and it is Jesus. He says, the Bible says that they laid their, their sick, their lame, their maimed, their harmed, those people who were broken at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Verse 31, so the multitude marveled. When they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Man, so many of these passages, we just buzz through them and we don't think about what the celebration must have been like. In in just a few verses, we're going to find out they were here three days. So for three days, there's, there's this magnificent celebration of the authority and power of God. The authority of God to do great things, magnificent things, amazing things in the lives of these people. Here he is. Jesus on a mountain. Multitudes gathering around. And for the lame, for the blind, for the maimed, for all of these people, he's the answer. He's the answer. He's the answer. He's the answer. And the folks who are watching start to realize not only is he the answer, he he brings a source deeper than himself. And they glorify God. Verse 32, now Jesus called the disciples to him. And he said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days. And have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Now, I want you to, I want you to recognize this word compassion. I want to stop on this word compassion. I have compassion on them. If you go back to the feeding of the 5,000, at the feeding of the 5,000, the same thing is said. Matthew will state at the beginning of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked at this massive group of people and he had compassion on them. But we gotta, we gotta get a little deeper in this term compassion. This is that, that Greek word. It's almost impossible to say, but it's plagizomai. It's plagizomai. He has this, this is this version of compassion that you feel right here. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate that. A friend of mine said, hey, you should, you should put up some images and, and kind of, kind of take a poll, but we don't have that option anymore. We don't have the, we don't have you to, here to raise your hand. But I want you to, I want, I want to put you, uh, first, I want, I want to talk to you who are, who are like 45 and older. So if you're a little older, 45 and older, you're like me. You, you predate ESPN when it was really a national network, when it made much of an impact. But there used to be this thing on ABC, ABC's wild, Wide World of Sports. If you remember that, you're old. So just accept that. Wide World of Sports. It always st- started with the same theme and the same sort of narrative background. But the piece that everybody remembers about the wide world of sports is the thrill of victory. And there was this image of this victorious moment in a person's uh, an athletic abilities and athletic accomplishment and the agony of defeat. And there was this guy who had fallen down on a ski slope and he's, he's literally just sliding down. Skis are flying. His arms are flailing. He goes all down the ski slope and off this, I don't know what it was, a jump, a building, something. He slides off the roof of this thing. And the last piece of this, you just see this man, arms and legs flailing. And there's this moment when you, when you see it, at least when I saw it at the beginning, where I just felt like, oh, this guttural feeling. Because it was like, oh my, what happened to him? How much did that hurt? I just had this moment when I felt, oh, compassion. I felt splagizomai. I felt a gut level 
compassion for what is going on to this guy. I sympathized, I empathized, and I felt it right here. That's what this word means. If, you're that, if you've seen something that just touched you and got you and gripped you, if you felt it in your gut, that's what Jesus says. He said, I feel for these people in my guts. I feel for these people here. I just ache for them. I hurt for them. I feel for their needs. I feel for them. And this is no change of nature. This is not the nature of Jesus only. And God is accepting it's the, you got this, the same nature of the Godhead. It is the, not, the Godhead's nature across the Trinity. Go back to Moses up on the mountain. Moses has risen in his relationship with God. He's come to this moment. He's been through the Ten Commandments. He's been up with God for 40 days a couple of times. He's up there again. He's there in the presence of God. And this is that moment when he's asking all these questions. And he asks the key one, can I see you? I want to see you. And God says, no, you can't see me. No one can look on me or they will die but I'll I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass in front of you and I'll show you my glory. And the glory is a description. In the midst of that description, he says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And we kind of think, oh, wait, wait, wait. Is he saying some people don't get mercy? He's saying, no, it's none of your business who I give mercy to. He's saying, I'm in charge of the mercy around here, not you. So you can't pick and choose who gets mercy, which is really good news, right? And he says, and I will have compassion. I will have compassion. I will have compassion whom I have compassion. Do you realize this earth exists and the plan of salvation exists because of the compassion of God? He knew the results of sin. He knew the aching bitterness and sorrow that it would cause to mankind. And he put a plan in place before we were made to rescue us from that sorrow because he had compassion on us before we created us. Before he ever started, he knew the heartbreak that it would bring. And he laid the plan of the cross out, saying, I will die so they can come home because of his compassion. In Lamentations chapter 3 is Jeremiah weeping his way through the events of Israel's history. In in Jeremiah chapter 3, he says his mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not compassions of God are renewed for us day after day. There's never a moment when God looks at the suffering of man and waves it off. There's never a moment when God looks at somebody's breaking, breaking, breaking heart and says, no big deal. There's never a moment when he doesn't connect with the needs of mankind. He stands there on this hill three days into this celebration of his impact on the world. His celebration of the healing of what's going on in all of these lives. The celebration of God's glory. And he feels compassion for the people because now they're out of food. They're out of food. And he says, I don't want to send them away. It's a very important statement. It's, it's more powerful if you were to read it in the Greek. I don't tell you a lot of, uh, we don't spend a lot of time on the Greek here, but I, I just, there are places where it needs to be stated because it means something. It impacts something. And here he says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have not, they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. I wonder if the three days were on his mind because three days are a big deal. Three days are a big deal. And I do not want to send them away hungry. The English just sounds like another word. I do not want to send them away hungry. But in the Greek, it says, it is not my will that they go away hungry. Now, you have to recognize, if it is not 
the will of God that this happens. It isn't going to happen. Jesus is declaring the will of God in the lives of these people. It is not the will of God that anyone go hungry. It is not the will of God that they go away hungry. It is not the will of God that this happened to them. They have been healed. Their infirmities are gone. They have celebrated the glory of God. And Jesus says, I know this may seem like not such a big deal, but it is not the will of God that they go away hungry. They didn't even three, they, they, three days they have been here. And it is not my will. It is not the will of the God of the universe that they go away hungry. How hungry? He said, unless they might faint on the way home. How hungry? These people have no food. The walk home, the mile, the two miles, the three miles, whatever it is to get home from here. These people have an empty enough stomach that they might faint on the way home. Ooh, there's a lot. There's so much to say. My wife told me today, you have a lot to say. You better be careful because this could be a, a two-hour session. So you know, settle in, get your chips because it might go for a while. Just kidding, just kidding. But here's the deal. It has never been the will of God that anyone suffer. It has never been the will of God that anyone die. It has never been the will of God that any harm would come to you. If you think anything else, you've misunderstood who God is. It has never been God's will that there be suffering on our planet. He says, it's not my will that they go away hungry, lest they faint on the way home. And all of this celebration suffer. Suffer under that experience. Then his disciples said to him, what his disciples seemed to say a lot. We don't have the resources for this. His disciples say to him, where could we get enough bread in this wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Where will we find food for all these people? Where are we going to get it? Where are we going to find the food in the previous, in, 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 in chapter, uh, in the feeding of the 5,000, the question was, we don't have enough money. We don't have the financial resources to feed all these people. We went into all the villages and bought up all the bread. But here they're saying, there's no bread to be had. There is no bread in this wilderness. Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? What are your assets? One of my favorite movies, and I don't know, I don't know how you feel about this. This may be a revelation about your pastor that makes you change churches. I don't know. One of my favorite favorite movies is The Princess Bride. It should be one of your favorite movies. It's it's a it's an allegory of great love and great loss and great gain, and it's the it's a beautiful story of of triumph. There's a this moment, the, the movie makes some of its strongest points in comic moments. They are, they're, they're, leaving this, uh, they're leaving this house and the last thing said by the characters as they're leaving, goodbye, goodbye, and they do it in this great New York sort of accent, goodbye, have fun storming the castle. 
and one character, the, the, the female character, says to the male character, do you think they'll do it, make it? Not a chance. And you cut away, and they're, they're there outside the gates of the castle, guarded by, it looks like, maybe 50 to 100 men. They are waiting to, to just keep them out because they are afraid that they're coming. And there are three of them. Just three. There they sit, Wesley, Inigo, and Fetchik, hiding behind this fence. And Wesley asks, what are our assets? And they go through the assets. And as you're watching the story, you're like, those are not assets, guys. You have, you have nothing. And that's Jesus' point to his disciples. What are your assets, guys? Well, there are 13 of us, because you eat too. We got seven pieces of bread, and a few, and the disciples make sure that it's clear to him. A few small fish, a few little fish. We just ha- we don't have big fish. We're, we're not talking, you know, Pastor Tim's salmon catch. We're talking little fish. These are minnows, these are perch, these are small fish. We've got a few pieces of bread and some sardines. And then Jesus just tells the multitude to start sitting down. He just says, okay, everybody. Lunchtime, and Jesus starts making lunch. Jesus starts making lunch. As the people begin to sit down, I just imagine them sort of like the others, sitting down around on the hillside. He takes the seven loaves and the fish, And he gives thanks for them. And he gives them to the disciples. And they give them to the multitude. Here's the cool picture here tonight. You see, the compassion of God for the people is about feeding them. The compassion of God for the disciples is about feeding them. Here's the interesting part of the story. Jesus knows what's going to happen with these guys. Jesus knows that they're going to face three days of great loss and have to recover. He knows that they're going to walk into situations from now until the day they die where they do not have the resources to cover the need. And they're going to need to have some kind of answer. It is the compassion of Jesus that tells the, that calls them to say, hey, uh, what assets do you have? What do you guys have? What did you bring with you? Remember the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3? He's standing there in front of the bush. The bush is burning. God starts talking to him out of the bush. God says, you're going to go save the people. I've been listening to the people. I've had compassion on the people. I feel for what's going on with them. And I want you to rescue them. And Moses says, hey, hey, wait, 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 wait. I think you should rescue them. And God says, no, I want you to rescue them. And he says, no, I can't. I don't talk very well. I'm not your guy. I've been hiding out here in the wilderness for 40 years. And God says, Moses, what's that in your hand? What do you have? What assets do you have? What did you bring? Now, you've got to think about what he has in his hand. Sure, it's a staff. And if you think about a staff, it's a pretty simple thing. It's a piece of wood. Usually has a crook in it so you can 
snag the animal that's trying to run away. It's your way of controlling the sheep. It's just a walking stick. It's, it's sort of a companion to the shepherd. They usually have worn it a lot. I mean, it's usually got the oils of their hand on it, sort of changing the color where they hold it all the time. It's usually a sturdy stick, but it's just a stick. But for Moses, it's more than just a stick. The staff that Moses is carrying is a reminder of his losses. Thank you, Jesus, for reminding me of my losses. The stick that he used to hold, the one 40 years ago, was a symbol of his authority and his power. Just a little, just a little ruler's stick. Not a ruler, but a ruler's stick. It was, it was usually something that Egyptian rulers carried, were given as a, a statement of their office's authority. It was just so long. You see it sometimes in images of, of Egyptian kings where they're holding this little staff. It has a crook on it as well. That was Moses' stick before. Now he's carrying this long stick that shepherds carry. This despised group of people, the shepherds, this stick he's holding now is probably a lot taller, but it means a lot less to him. It's simply a reminder how far he has fallen. In the last 40 years, he went from a ruler in Israel to a keeper of sheep. He's been wandering around these deserts just watching sheep and trying to find a place to feed them and water them. His whole life is made up of following sheep, finding a place to feed them and water them. Follow the sheep, find a place to feed them and water them. Find a, follow the sheep, find a place to feed them and water them. Find a place to feed them and water them. Find a place to feed them and water them. He killed a man. This staff is a reminder that the reason he's here is because he killed a man. He murdered a man. Physically murdered a man with his own hands. And this, this stick, this staff, is a reminder of his choice that created this failure. There he stands before God, and God has the temerity to ask him, what's that in your hand? God, if you're really God, you know. You know this is the symbol of my life. This is who I've become. This is the symbol of my loss. This is the symbol of my failure. This is the, the symbol of the horrible choices I've made. This is nothing, God. This is certainly nothing that will be of help. He says, throw it down. Moses throws the staff on the ground. And it transforms into this scary, moving, hissing snake. Powerful creature of the desert. Dangerous creature of the desert. And in that moment, he says, now that you've seen it, pick it up. <laughs> oh, there's a whole bunch that could be said about this whole experience, but I want you to take away a piece, just one piece, that what you have in your hand may not always feel like an asset to you. It may feel like a curse. 
It may, may feel like a reminder of all the horrible things you've done, the mistakes you've made. But the track record of your life may very well be the asset God is reaching for. And when you let go of it, and it becomes His, it is transformed into something amazing. These guys took what was left of their bread after they'd been around for three days, and they handed it over to Jesus, and He thanked God for it. And then He started giving it to them, and say, take some to those people over there. And given to the next disciple, you take some to that people over there. And you take those, and you take those, and you take those. And, you ta- and he just starts handing out bread. You ever been in an experience where God was multiplying something, multiplying blessings for you? Do you know what happens to me when I feel that multiplied blessing? I just start to grin. I get this goofy grin on my, on my face because there's nothing else to do. I start grinning and praising God. I'll give you a simple illustration, a simple picture of it. It's happened in more grand ways, but this is one of the ones that stays in my heart and reminds me. It's silly. It, it really is silly, and I'm almost a little embarrassed to share it with you. It's, a, it's, it's, it's one of those everyday things that I practice with God on a regular basis, and it just brings me great joy. I, I really, I'm delaying. I'm trying not to tell you. It started with a trip coming across highway from Highway 50, to town, back home here. So, you know, I was coming on Sunrise Boulevard. Sunrise Boulevard is dotted with red lights. I mean, there's just one every 10 seconds, it seems to me. And as I'm driving across the freeway, it was actually fairly late at night, but I'm driving across and I said, hey, Lord, wouldn't it be great if the lights were all green all the way home? And I, I didn't, I, it wasn't really stated as a prayer. It was just kind of a conversation piece because I was by myself. And I went through the first light and it was green. I said, that was cool. A little smile broke. Second light, and it was green. And that was, that was even more cool. There's a multiplication factor in God's coolness. Third light, fourth light, fifth light, sixth light. And by now, I'm just starting. All I'm doing is sitting in my car, smiling and admiring God's work. Seventh light, eighth light, ninth light. I don't know how many lights it, w- it was. I'll tell you, it's a lot faster getting from 50 home when Highway 50, for those of you who are not local home when the lights are all green I got into the local streets and there were more lights and they were green and green and green and green and right before you turn to go to my house um, you turn off the road go around a corner and there's a light and it's a left hand turn it's never green it's a left hand turn lane left hand turn lanes are not green they wait for you to get there to change and I roll up on it that night, and it's green. And from sunrise to the first stop sign to turn to go to my house, it had been green and green and green. And the grin on my face just kept growing and growing and growing. And as silly as it sounds, that's what it feels like to know that you are being blessed by God. When you know it's happening to you, it just begins to bring you an abiding moment of joy. It's happened in great ways in this church when finances were needed, when prayers were answered. Man, it's been happening lately in my life with prayers being answered, which is a story to be told at another time. 
And I practice this with God now on a regular basis. I'll get out on the road and I'll say to God, wouldn't it be great if the lights were green between here and there? Sometimes when I'm late, especially, which happens to me, I'll say, hey, God, if I got all green lights, I'd probably make it on time. And then I'll count the lights. And I'll go across town and I'll, I'll, I'll hit green light after green light after green light. And the green just glows in my face. Those of you who are being delayed by the other red lights, my fault, sorry. But it's a blessing that God gives me. Now imagine being handed bread and more bread and more bread and more bread. And Jesus just keeps pulling it out and just keeps pulling it out. The disciples come back for more and he fills up their arms and they go again and they come back for more and he fills up their arms. You realize how long it would take to feed 12,000 people? Because that's my estimate of who's there, 4,000 men plus women and children. Call it 10,000 if, if you'd like to be less. Call it eight if you'd like. I don't care. Thousands of people were fed. This took some time. And Jesus just keeps pulling fresh bread out of the oven of heaven's making. And they just keep hauling these little sardines and fresh bread, little sardines and fresh bread all over the, all over the, all over the mountainside. And because God is an abundant God, he didn't just give them enough to eat. He gave them more than enough to eat. In both cases, the abundance of God is demonstrated and they take away leftovers. God is in favor of leftovers. Those of you who hate leftovers, you are opposed to the will of God. Just remember that. Put in the refrigerator, eat with love. Here's the point. The assets that you are looking for, the answers that you are hoping for, are probably already in your possession. The answer to the question that's on your heart, the things that are burning in your heart, the things that you wish you had an answer for, the answer is probably already in your hand. Anybody else have smart friends? I have friends who, when I get into their presence, I always feel not very smart. There are some of you sitting in here, you can't see them, but there are some people in here and they are some of those intimidatingly smart people in my life. I have one friend in particular who I have approached over my lifetime. We've known each other for a long time. I've approached him many times and very often when I approach him with a question, hey, what about this, what about this? He'll, he'll give me a little bit of an answer, but he very often, painfully, irritatingly often, will give me a book. A book is not an easy answer. A book is an investment. If you give me a book to go read, now I have to go spend time finding the answer that you probably could have given me because you knew which book to give me. If you knew the answer was in the book, you know the answer. But there's a blessing in the investment. There's a blessing in the investment. Here's what's wild about this to me. The most, most unread, widely known, most common book in the world is in my hand. And the wisdom you are looking for for the answers in your life is in here. The wisdom you are looking for for the problems that are bothering you is in here. You face loss, 
Someone in here faced loss. You're facing fear. Someone in here faced fear. You've lost your job. Someone in here lost their job. The things you have suffered have been suffered before. The things you are losing have been lost before. The answers you are looking for are here. Crazy. The access to the Bible that we have in our world is phenomenal. I don't know if you're reading along with us on version. I hope you are. If you haven't, we're 88 days in. I checked this morning. We're 88 days in. You can start now. No one will know. You can join one of the teams. Then they'll all know, but they're not going to care. Join where they are. Follow through. Read the scriptures. It's here. You'll, be fine. you'll find yourself, if you join now, you'll find yourself in Judges, which is, I don't know, it's like the Peyton place of the Bible. It's a, it's a soap opera and a tragedy all wrapped up into one in the book of Judges. It's the rated R version of the scripture. That's the place where you don't want your kids to read right now. Just tell them the stories, leave out some stuff. But if you are looking for the answers that, you're, that you really need, the depth, not the surface answers, not the, sh- not the one-sentence quickie answers, but the deep, abiding, long-term answers, they're in here. They really are. If music soothes you, there's music. If love stories are great for you, there's love stories. It's here. It really is. If, if of all the assets you have in your life, this, this one here might actually be the greatest one available to you. Here's Here's the thing that the thing about compassion. The reason God has compassion on man is because he knows the brokenness we have and how to answer it. You see, when you feel compassion for someone, when you see someone's need, you met some some place in their brokenness with your own heart. You've met some place in their broken experience with your heart. You've seen somebody hungry and it touches you. You've seen somebody broken and it touches you. You've seen somebody losing something and it touches you. You've seen somebody trying to get into the United States and it touches you. You've seen somebody, for whatever reason, having some horrible thing, event in their life, and it grips you. And when it grips you in your gut, you are feeling what God feels for them. He looks at us and He knows not only the moment we're in, but that the rest of the story. To, to really feel compassion is to be not only, not only touched by it, but compelled to move toward it. To be con- compelled to move into it. We all feel different, compa- different levels of compassion for different things. There are some of you, you see a, 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 a dog on the street who's hungry and you just really feel for that animal. There are some of us who see the dog on the street and we say, get out of the way, dog. There are some of us who see a person on the side of the road whose car's looking down and we're moved with compassion to pull over and help them fix it. There are some of us who say, good luck. We're all moved by different things. All that means is you are the asset for that situation. You are the asset God is trying to use in that situation. What moves you is your call. What moves you is your call. If God is challenging you, if you're feeling it here, that is the call. And and I know, I know all of us feel like we don't have the gifts, we don't have the talents, we don't have the, the necessary equipment to fulfill these things. 
but none of us does. You think the people who stand up here, the three of us who preach regularly, feel like we have adequate assets to, to meet the needs? No, we don't. We, we, we feel very inadequate on a regular basis. And Sabbath keeps coming around and coming around and coming around. You may be feeling it at work. You may be feeling it at home. You may be feeling it around your neighbors. You may be feeling it in any number of places. But you are the asset God is calling you to be right now in time. Don't expect that he will answer the question the way you expect it to be answered. Don't expect that God will answer the question, answer the need, in the way that you expect it to be answered. The disciples didn't think that their, their little bit of food would make it. They didn't think that stealing a little boy's lunch was going to make it. But with Jesus, it made it. That's the, that's the answer. That's, that's the outcome. That's the thing that makes these guys write this story 30 years later, is they realized that the assets that God was providing were never going to look like they were enough. And yet, in God's hand, he held them up, he blessed them, and he just started passing out bread and fish, bread and fish. Sardine sandwiches for everybody, sardine sandwiches for everybody. I hope they were the mustard ones, because I never really liked the other ones. Hmm. A woman, her story is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. Bible says she's a widow. She's broke. She's so broke, she's upside down. She owes a massive debt. Uh, she owes such a large debt that the people who are going to collect on the debt are going to take her children as slaves. Boy, aren't we glad that that is not the exchange medium today. You get upside down on your, bill, on your uh, mortgage and they just come get your kids. Maybe some of you would make the exchange. I don't know. That's up to you. But when the prophet sees the woman, she's distraught by this. Do you remember the story? Do you remember what he asks her? Do you remember what the prophet says? This woman who's broke, she's upside down, she's in debt. He says, what do you have? Well, all, all I have to my name. All I have at all, anywhere. All I have is a little bit of oil. That's it. I am flat broke. Cupboards are empty. I have nothing stashed away. There's no savings. There's nothing. I've spent everything. I'm out. You remember what he tells her to do? You want to talk about an answer no one's expecting? Dave Ramsey would be so mad at this. I, he probably skips this part in his Bible. The prophet says, go, you in huge debt lady, go and borrow every vessel you can find from your neighbors. Hey, lady, you who are in huge debt, go borrow a bunch of stuff from people. Go to all your neighbors, bring home every jar, every vessel you can find. Would you do that? If this were the, if this were the way God was dealing with you, would you do that? I, I, I would have some major questions about that. God, my problem is borrowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. My answers are not your answers. My ways are not your ways. I see things you don't understand. Go borrow more. Off she goes. She borrows all these things. She brings them all home. 
she goes to every house, every person she thinks might give her something, she takes them all home. Shows up with all of these empty jars. And then the prophet says, fill the jars with the oil you have left. Would any of this make sense to you? Would you be like the disciples saying, look, seven, what do you not know about this? Seven little loaves of bread. We do not have enough to feed us. We're going to have to share. Take the oil, fill the vessels. Pours and fills and 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 pours and fills. She gets the kids involved. Wipe these out quickly. Keep them keep them coming. Keep them clean. She pours and fills and she pours and fills and she pours and fills and she pours and fills. Pours and fills and pours and fills and pours and fills and pours and fills and pours and fills. Pours and fills. Pours and fills. Pours and fills. And when she gets to the last empty jar, the last drop of the oil fills it up. To the top. Because God doesn't follow our rules. God is God. He does miracles. And they do still happen. So my church family. What better future lies out there for you? What answer is God offering to you? What are you trying to avoid that you know God is calling you to? Because you can feel it right there. Spirit, you need to arise in your gut. Because in that feeling, in those torn up inside, Transformation occurs. Amazing, life-changing blessings and blessings. And you know it's the offer because you feel the call. Right now you're sitting at home or watching. It's a great moment to ask. What do you want me to do about that, God? Be ready for the question to come back. Because the question that's coming back is, what are your assets? Be careful about what you say. What I've noticed about people is assets flip at the end of life. We go from the assets of our home and our car and our family. When somebody asks you your assets, you say home, car, uh, bank account, retirement account. You, You go through those things. At the end of everyone's life, it's always the same. When I sit with somebody who's at the end of their life, they'll they'll say, it's my family. It's the people I love. I hope I've lived a life that's left a legacy of blessing somewhere. And those assets become the most significant. Be careful about what assets you place before God. Be careful about what you tell Him. He may want to use them. But if you feel it here, there's a call on your life somewhere. Let's pray. Father God, there is no doubt in my mind that there is a call on all of us.
that everyone who hears this, any, all the households, all the children, all the adults, need only understand where that call is located because the surety of that call is absolute. Lord, help us to trust you with what we hold in our hands because it is not what we hold that matters. It's what we hand over to you. Lord, help us to hand the things that we value over to you. To hand over to you the things that you can use for the growth of the kingdom, for the saving of souls, for the transforming of our crazy planet. Lord, with empty, open hands, because we've handed off your blessings back to you. We praise you what you would do. Yeah. In Jesus' name.